is the second Sunday of Advent, as we've mentioned earlier. And the candle that was lit for day, today was signified for peace as a character of Christ. And the passage this morning is from John chapter 14 and verse 27. It is primarily and singularly focused upon the peace of Christ. Let us turn our attention to our Lord's word now as we read from the Gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 27. If you didn't bring your Bibles with you, that the scripture texts are found in the back of the sermon notes. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor fearful. This is the word of God. Let's pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Be with us, Holy Spirit, as we open and gaze at your holy word. Open our minds to understand the truth of God. Reveal Christ to us and the wonders of the gospel. Convict our hearts when we fall short. Grant us grace and work in us a chained heart to reflect the character of our blessed Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. The Greek translation for the word peace is actually Irene. We name our children peace. In my life, I've known many Irenes. The Hebrew translation is also something that we're familiar with, shalom. Another name that is derived from shalom is Solomon, which means peace or man of peace. Shalom was and continues to be the Hebrew uh, sentiment that is expressed both when you greet and when you depart from one another. For us as Westerners, the notion of peace tends to focus on the notion of serenity and in some cases, enjoyment of a life that lacks friction, difficulty, and conflict. But sadly, that does not truly convey what the Hebraic meaning of shalom is. In its most basic terms, it simply means, may you experience the wholeness of life that comes from knowing and being at harmony with God. I'll repeat that. May you experience the wholeness of life that comes from knowing and being at harmony with God. In our text this morning, the Lord states that the type of peace that he offers is is not like the world's. He points out that a contrast exists between God's peace and the world's peace. Now, of course, there are similarities between them, but we shall focus on the distinctions so that we can understand what this peace Jesus is talking about that he gives to you and to me. Dr. D.A. Carson states, there is sufficient hatred, selfishness, bitterness, malice, anxiety, and fear that every attempt at peace is rapidly swamped. The world promises peace and waves the flag of peace as a greeting. 
and then concludes, it cannot give it. There's a sort of peace that is a political in nature. I recall back in college, my history professor stated that in all of recorded history, mankind has experienced global peace only 5% of the time. Think about that. Almost all the time, there has been some armed conflict between men and nations. So let's focus a little bit more on this distinction. The world has a a form of this peacemaking called peacekeepers. The UN, the United Nations, sends military units into a part of the world where a truce has been called between combatants in order to maintain the peace. Question. What happens when the peacekeepers are no longer welcome? Do the combatants typically maintain the peace? No. The hostilities pick back up. They're not peacemakers, they're peacekeepers. Many of us have heard the Latin term for pox, most famously and commonly used when we reference the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Indeed, Rome achieved a peace and maintained that peace with a brutal exercise of military conquest and maintained by an ever-present sharp sword. Outside of political peace, the world offers another type of peace. It is in the form of things that, well, we ingest, in one form or another. Really, this is so broad and ranges from anything from a relaxing herbal tea to abuse of alcohol, pain meds, illegal drugs, etc. Each promising to soothe our anxieties or numb our existing pains. Now, what I have in mind is not the type of pains that derive from genuine injury, but as a result of strife that ultimately has to do with sin. Certainly, these sources of relational strife and anxiety come from a variety of places. But the peace the world offers doesn't actually address the real issue. It just covers it up. It helps us to cope. Either way, we see that it's only illusory or deceptive. It's not a lasting peace. It only blinds you numbs you to the conflict that has arisen from the hostility that exists between yourself and your neighbor. The hostility that exists between yourself and God. And the hostility that exists between yourself and yourself. Really is remarkable how we can be at enmity with our neighbor God, and with ourselves. But such is the nature of man. Our conscience pricks us and we berate ourselves, harm ourselves, and sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Are you experiencing 
Any of those today? Are you angry at yourself, your neighbor, or even God? As it relates to being at enmity with God, the scripture is very clear about us being in conflict with God. Romans 5.10 tells us, for if while we were, what? Enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. James 4.4 is very succinct. You adulteresses. Now, James is speaking to the church. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This type of relational peace is the most important type of peace one must have in order to experience the fruits that come from it. What am I talking about? Peace with God. With genuine believers, it can be elusive because when we sin, sometimes we don't confess and repent. This raises a wall between ourselves and God. So as Christians, we are susceptible to relational strife when we don't deal with our sin. But as Christians, we should be dealing with our sin, confessing on a regular basis and repenting from our sins. Now, when we're at peace with God, the likelihood of peace with our neighbor and ourselves is much more possible. The vertical relationship with God affects our horizontal relationship with man and ourselves. We're famously introduced to the notion of peace in the Gospel of Mark, of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, we're told, blessed are the peacemakers. What is the form of the blessing? It is that they will be called the sons of God. The world's ways are not long-lasting, fruitful Solutions where justice is brought to bear so that true, long-lasting peace, the type that penetrates the crevices of the soul, can be experienced. Whether you're here or you're watching on live stream, do you have that peace with God today? If you're a Christian... You need to confess and repent and partake of that wonderful peace by being in relationship with God. Simply stated, the world, by definition, cannot offer you shalom, the peace of God. It is in enmity with it. To understand the beatitude, we have to recognize that the only people who are capable of and have even an interest in delivering the peace of God in the form of the gospel are Christians. So you see, that is why when we proclaim the gospel, we are called the sons of God. 
Because it is the gospel that brings about peace between God and man. This morning, I would like to introduce a portion of a model that helps us understand the type of peace that the Lord is making reference to when he says, my peace I give to you. So let me first say that something must exist prior to us having peace. For without it, we cannot have peace. It is justice. Secondly, something comes after we have peace. Love. For without peace, love, genuine love, cannot either exist or flourish. Justice, peace, love has to happen in that order. So let's take a look at the first notion, that of the presence of justice. In the context of our relationship with God, we are the offenders against God. When we sin, we incur moral debt against a holy and righteous God. So God continues to heap up his anger against man. Without justice, there can be no peace. We understand this, right? How can we have peace with anyone who hurts us? We may be able to tolerate physical and emotional pain, but we don't really have peace. Justice must be served in order to have peace or for it to exist. There are many judicial buildings, of which I'm sure some of you have come across across in your life, all across America, that have a motto that one way or another communicates the following. Without justice, there can be no peace. It is not a coincidence that judges are called what? Justice of the peace. We have to recognize justice must be served so that we may have peace. Question. How are we moved to demand justice when we are wronged? We literally feel angry, right? That anger moves us, motivates us to be made whole again, to have justice. And we must have it to reclaim the relationship that has been ruptured by sin. Now, as humans, we get our desire from justice, for justice, from God, as well as the emotion of anger. God desires justice and is also angry. That is what we call a communicable attribute. That is communicated to the creature. We have received that and have that in common with God. Now, we don't have the time today to discuss the differences in how anger achieves its end between man and God. But let's just say for our purposes today, that we both experience anger and its purpose is to move us towards justice, 
to rectify wrongs done to us so that reconciliation may occur. Question. How can a finite creature like us pay back an infinite being like God? Well, the truth is, we can't. We just simply can't. Now, this may sound like bad news to you, and you would be right. We are helpless to make restitution in this life. As finite and limited beings, we can only do so by standing under the gaze of God and receiving the punishment for our sins throughout eternity in hell. Now, that that may be a very sad dose of reality. Are you feeling helpless? If you are, I've got some good news for you. The question is, How can peace be achieved with God? The Bible answers that. What is needed is a unique being who represents humanity by being fully human, but also possesses the infinite aspect of the divine being. That precisely is who Jesus is. Fully man and fully divine. He has both natures, 100% each. By Jesus making of himself a sacrifice for his people, his bride, he would receive the punishment, the anger, and the wrath of God in order to make him whole. Just this weekend... Elder Jack Lucas and several folks uh, who are here today attended the inquirer's class. Jack mentioned that if you're here long enough, you should expect your vocabulary to stretch a little. Well, I have a word for you today. If you haven't heard it before, it's propitiation. You see, in order for God's anger to be satisfied, to be turned away, propitiated, he needed to be made whole. He needed to have justice for the sins of those for whom the Lord died. Hebrews 2.17 tells us, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers. There it is, a representative of humanity. No different 100% human. That he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make what? Propitiation for the sins of the people. If we drop down to the next one, which is 1 John 4.10, it states, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. By satisfying the demands of justice, the Lord Jesus made it possible for his people to have peace with God. You see, he paid the price of justice for you so that you may experience the peace that comes from knowing God intimately. In verse 27, the Lord states that he is giving us his peace. Let's not forget that this is happening in the upper room discourse. Jesus is about to undergo his trials, which will culminate upon the cross. He is staring at his impending death. He says that he is leaving us, leaving us with his peace. Very intriguing. This is to properly be understood as his bequest. Jesus is bequeathing his followers peace. When we reflect upon the Old Testament, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, we're told that the Prince of Peace, and he will bring about peace. He is leaving it behind for his followers. He is attaining this peace, which he has with his Father, for his disciples, you and me. Let's look at that. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us. This is looking forward to the Messiah. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with what? Justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The Lord Jesus, the prophesied Messiah, is about to go and accomplish this peace for his people. And in the process, he shall die. And so when he says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, he is bequeathing for his people peace. But what is this peace? What's really happening upon the cross? His dying upon the cross is the payment for our sins. This is the good news that allows us to have peace with God. It is the end of hostilities with God. Now let's be specific here. Just because the Lord made himself a proper and sufficient sacrifice for sins, it doesn't mean that everyone's sins have been forgiven. When we come into the reality of this wonderful news, that salvation for our souls has been accomplished, and we believe, and when we believe its truthfulness, then we must, 
We must. You have to place our faith, your faith, upon Christ and what he has accomplished as being sufficient once for all to enter into shalom. A relationship with our triune God. That's it. Faith. Faith in Christ. Transferring your trust in what you think that you can do to enter into a right relationship with God to what Christ has already done. That really is good news, isn't it? Okay, I got some heads nodding. If you see that today and believe it, won't you trust Christ by faith alone to experience the peace of Christ, which it has to offer you is a proper relationship to God? So it is this peace, his peace, that of being in a right relationship with God the Father, Jesus bequeathed us by his death. He said, my peace I give unto you. The price, his life. Now earlier, we said that something has to happen in order to move to the next step. Once we have justice, then we have peace. But then the last part, which is what? Love. Christ achieved justice. He brought about peace. And now, Christians, we enter into the love of God. There is no longer friction between you and a holy and just God. It has been paid in total. In front of me and you, in between us, is a table. This table is a table wrought out of pain and suffering, but motivated by love for you, for each of you who has accepted Christ. You must see this table as nothing less than God's love for you. To a table that he invited you to before the foundations of the earth. And he takes great pleasure in having you as his children. Should we no less take pleasure in having him as our father and loving him back, reflecting his son in our lives with reckless abandon? Yes. But the truth of the matter is, we, we get tired. We have doubts. We get temptations along the way. 
And this table takes us back, takes us back to that great love of the cross and gives us the nutrition, the spiritual nutrition that we need in order to bring us back on the path again. Now, by necessity, if you are to take of this table, you have to be a Christian. And similarly, by necessity, if you're not a believer, I'm afraid this table is not for you. You must first become a Christian. And we've already said what you have to do. If you understand the gospel and you believe it, then just transfer your faith from what you think you have to do to work off your sins or to be in a right relationship with God to what Christ has already done. So we would ask that as the elders come around and offer the plate, perhaps you not receive the elements until a time when you have done that and you can confidently say, I have received that call and I have responded to it. I'd like the elders to please come forward who will be helping serve the Lord's table today.